You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. So there's only one place to start, Connor, and that is the absolute fix that is the Connacht Senior Football Championship. Outrageous. Emma Mulligan kicked this all off um, on Monday evening. And um, on first view, Emma might have been onto something. It was Connacht chairman John Murphy. He's only the new Connacht chairman, so he probably didn't do too much live TV and draws before. Um, and he pulled out a, a canister, fiddled with it. And Marty wasn't finished talking. He put it back into the into the canister and shook it around. And who came out? Leitrim came out to play Mayo or Sligo. Now, the Leitrim people, like Emblem Mulligan, are saying this is a complete fix. That was a warmed up Galway canister or a warmed up Roscommon canister. And we cannot have them playing Mayo. We'll throw Leitrim to play Mayo like lambs to the slaughter. Thoughts? <laughs> Well, can you just leave us alone, will you? You know, just just because just because like the Leinster Championship hasn't been competitive, you know, it doesn't give you a right to be, you know, accusing us of a skullduggery in Connacht. A man makes an innocent, innocent mistake. You could clearly see that Marty Morrissey was still talking over him. He literally wasn't finished his sentence. So John dropped the canister back into the draw and then completely legitimately pulled Leitrim out of the draw then 10 seconds later. But of course, listen, there's accusations. I was reading my Mayo News this week, Woolly, and... Uh, said that a number of high-profile GA personalities have taken to social media to voice their criticism, including former Roscommon goalkeeper Shane Curran, former Leitrim star Emma Mulligan, and ex-Leash footballer Colin Parkinson. So just l- listen, Willie, I'm here to tell you to leave us alone. Jesus, like, I mean, I did the opposite than that. What are the Mayo News talking about? Like, I mean, I actually, when when I had a look at this, I went, OK, right, I'm going to, I need to see what happened before it. 
and I looked at it a couple of times. And poor John Murphy's had to clarify this. He's been contacted by different uh, media outlets and he said there was nothing untoward. I was running a bit ahead of Marty and I just picked one out as he was speaking and I put it down. The other side of it, there were eight to ten people around the place with producers, a prop guy, a cameraman, a crop park rep. It's a lot about nothing, really. And these things can take off because when I looked at it the second time, he did pick it up. Marty hadn't finished talking. He dropped it back in and then he wanted to reveal the piece of paper just as Marty had stopped talking. Now, the mistake he did make was putting it back in and shuffling it again. He could have just, if he yeah. had more experience, he would have just kept it, would have taken it out, held it in his hand until Marty stopped talking and then opened up that Galway warm canister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, like, so John Prenti was asked about it in the Mayo News, actually, and John Prenti obviously would be a veteran of these things and was saying how, you know, like these... These draws, they, there's a load of rehearsals beforehand, you know what I mean? So like he said, John Murphy was saying there's no possible way it, it could be fixed. And to be fair to John Murphy, as you said, I think it was his first time. And he he, he did look a little bit nervous, to be honest. But I, I feel for the man having to feel phone calls yeah. about it afterwards. But I suppose that that's that's that there was a little bit of tension on it. So that's why he had to do it. But I, I, I like if you're looking for skullduggery in draws, Willie, like just around Christmas time or just before Christmas time, there was a lot of club draws doing the rounds on WhatsApp videos of them. And there was far there was far more blatant um, what looked like skullduggery to me than what John Murphy might have been guilty of there just uh, on uh, the other evening. Yeah. So from our point of view, it was all above board and it was a big deal about nothing. And in fairness, let's give Connacht chairman John Murphy, a very honourable man, and to think he would be cheating live on TV. If you want to cheat, do it on the radio, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so the Ulster Football uh, Championship, probably Connacht and Ulster, the big story in 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 Connacht is obviously Mayo. Mayo. Galway play Roscommon in one semi, and you'd imagine Mayo should come through uh, to the final there. So it's a very good draw for, for Mayo. Ulster football, um, Big probably one out of that is Cavan playing Tyrone. Um, you'd imagine Cavan, the holders, are going to go out early. Um, Donegal and Down um, drew each other in the preliminary. Uh, we'll be talking to Paddy Talley in part two about um, the draw and a lot more as well. Um, it, it used to be a huge panic if you were drawn into preliminary, Connor, because I think it was years and years, like decades since it was done, that yeah. a team went straight through. Like, I mean, it's hilarious. It, it's You can win it with three games, but that one extra fourth game meant you, it was, this was almost an impossible task. But thankfully, Donegal did it in 18 and Cavan did it last year. So it's not as big, uh, you know, uh, an obstacle as it used to be. It really, it really was the kiss of death, Willie, wasn't it? If you were, if you were, if you happened to be drawn in the preliminary round, and it just kind of all tied into, it's probably dampened down a little bit in the last couple of years, especially because Cavan and Donegal. But like, it, it just upheld the Ulster Championship as the toughest championship in in the GA. Now I know the Munster hurling championship would have a lot to say about that, but no, it doesn't. It, 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 it there was no real st- Tyrone Cavan for me was the standout again. I mean, with all due respect to Cavan, I would say that. You know, given that there there might be a couple of counties eager to maybe knock them off their perch, and Tyrone with Brian Dewar coming along will be will be kind of eager to make a stamp as well. So that's uh that's that's the standout. But you're right, the the preliminary round isn't isn't as much of a gauntlet as as it used to be. I don't yeah. think. 
Yeah, Fergal Lowen, obviously, and, and Brian Dewar. They, they, I, I don't want to be too dismissive of, of Cavan after the year they had last year. But you'd, you'd fancy Tyrone to be favourites um, going into that one. Munster football, you'd have to just uh, spare a thought for poor Colm Collins, who committed to an eight-year last year and has drawn Kerry in the quarterfinal. Like, that's the end of Clare in the championship. Straight knockout. I'll give it one more year, says Colm Collins. I've drawn Kerry six of my, six of my seven years in charge. It's not going to happen this year. I get a little bit of a run. Maybe a Munster final would be a lovely, lovely way to leave them after eight years. Kerry quarter final, boom. And then I was just looking, I was just looking up at who they have. They're in the Division Two South, so they have Cork Kildare and Leash in their Division Two yeah. South. So like that, that's Colin Collins' four games in charge of Clare. Well, they might be, they might be in a promotion or relegation match in the league. But Cork Kildare, I leave Leash out of it because that's a 50-50 game. Cork Kildare and Kerry are are three of their four guaranteed games. Yeah, well, well, you said you'd leave Leash out of it, um, like Wally. I know, like Cork won the Munster last year, got to an All Ireland. got sorry, got they didn't win the Munster. They beat Gary last year. They got beat my tip, but at Cork have been, you know, they're coming from Division Three. Have been quite inconsistent, and then Kildare. I mean, like Kildare, no more than Armagh are a team that you've championed a lot uh, in the last couple of years, Wally, and then have flattered to deceive at a lot of different, you know, at a lot of different levels as well. So I tend to agree with you on the face of it. But I, I wouldn't necessarily hold Cork and Kildare maybe in the same esteem as, as we're holding Kerry for, for Colin for Colin Collins this year. I think there might be something there might be something in it for them. But I would I've huge sympathy for him. I mean the, the huge problem with Munster used to be the fact that the draw was seeded and now it's not. And then, you know, Clare can still draw what, Kerry six times in eight years, is it, or something like that? So yeah. The, the interesting one is um, the Leinster Football Championship. Like it's a waste of time. We're not talking about that because Dublin are going to win it. But they didn't draw They didn't draw semi-finals. And I don't know, is that not to demoralise the likes of a Leash or a Westmead to say, right, Leash play Westmead, which is a 50-50 game, exciting, all that. You know, you win that, then you play Dublin. It's like, oh God, I'm going to America. <laughs> like, obviously we can't. But I don't know, is that why they're holding off on, on drawing the semi-finals? I, I think the Ulster final haven't drawn the semi-finals either. We don't know who... Oh, they who 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 that's going to make up the other two provinces have yeah i i can only imagine that that's a, that's a very relevant point uh, willie no no manager is going to admit to it but if you're like if you're serious and you're realistic in the back of your head and you see that in the draw that like if we win our you know if we win our quarter final that we're coming up against dublin there's going to be a small element in your subconscious that's going to be like well you know what's the are we better off actually losing you know the first game because we don't want to take a hammer and off the off off Dublin in the semi like I, as 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 i said no player is going to have that attitude you know they're not going to, definitely not going to say it publicly but it definitely you know it's definitely going to get into the back of your mind but um but yeah it's uh it's again we just said said that there is a word talking about because because uh, Dublin are likely to be a cakewalk again. But there's some outside of Dublin. There are a couple of interesting matches, which makes the case again that, as you say repeatedly, outside of Dublin, the Leinster Championship would be actually quite competitive and interesting. Yeah, exactly. The hurling draws um, interesting enough. I think the Munster hurling championship. You couldn't have probably picked it. Um, better than it is because you've got a preliminary between Waterford and Clare, which would be a really good competitive game. Um, you know, you've got the the potential for Liam Cahill if Waterford win to take on Liam Sheedy in the semi-final because the winners of that play Tipperary, which is a great mouth-watering, or else you've got a Clare Tipperary, which is a, a, a big derby. And then on the other side, you have Limerick against Cork. And for me, Cork with their style of hurling are probably the team that might give Limerick most uh, problems down in Munster. So if you handpicked 
um, the Munster Hurling Championship. I don't think he could have picked it um, any better. It's a fantastic draw. I think the Cork one is interesting. Donal O'Grady's in with them now this year. And I want to get Kieran Kingston on the show to talk to him because he um, he's promised me an interview when everybody gets back. Because, like, I mean, he's, he's changed the squad around. So, obviously, I'm saying Cork style will cause Limerick problems or possession-based style. But maybe they're going to change that. Like I said, Donal O'Grady is in there. Anthony Nash is retired. Stephen McDonald's retired. Um, Conor Lee Han has gone off the panel. I don't think he retired. Christopher Joyce is gone off the panel. I'm not sure that he retired. Aidan Walsh, everybody thought he retired. He has confirmed this week that he didn't retire. He said, maybe some people don't know, but I didn't retire. I was told I wasn't part of the plans going forward. I was hoping to get another year or two out of it, but it wasn't to be. It's something I'll have to get used to. So, like, I mean, there's definitely a focus in Cork of changing the squad anyways, whether the style of play stays or not, it's hard to know. Yeah, did, did we speak about that recently? I mean, Kieran Kingston was talking about the league and how he'd like more games in the league to kind of blood blood a lot of the younger players. So he, he seems to be going that way. And like, I, I was shocked. I, I, I didn't know that Aidan Wells retired and then to find out that he's only 31. And then I was just reading about his run of injuries and it, it has been pretty bad, to be honest. And if you... If you want to play the style of hurling that's 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 likely going to keep up with Limerick, do you know what I mean? Who are, who are obviously the standard bearers? I suppose you need people that are going to be able to go at 100 miles an hour all the time. And you know, if if Aidan Welsh is constantly kind of recovering from injuries, he he mightn't be able to get back to that level. So you know, that's it's nearly a pity for Aidan Welsh because he st- I, I still think he had a little little bit left in him. But that, that's obviously the way Kieran Kingston is going. Um, just uh, I I I've heard I've heard that said. Willie, I've heard Anthony Daly say that say that as well. The Cork are maybe best place to kind of um to beat Limerick. Um, I, and then I suppose they they were one of the last teams to beat Limerick. They beat them in 2019 as well. But I don't know. I just. I, I hope to see a better challenge, but I just see I just see Limerick being a cut above Everton and Munster at the moment. I know it's a really kind of appetising draw, but I I still see them kind of with relative comfort kind of coming through Munster again this year. Yeah, myself and Anthony Daly, the two great hurling brains out there, Connor. <laughs> uh, thanks for the thanks for the comparison there. The Leinster the Leinster hurling championship was seeded. Galway and Kilkenny are separated, but like I mean, this is still a very good draw because you've Galway taking on um, Dublin. And you have Kilkenny taking on Wexford or Leash. Kilkenny obviously down Colin Fennelly this year. Wexford coming off a terrible season last season. They'll look to try and beat Leash. And they'd have no fear of Kilkenny in a semi-final. So I don't think that'd be any cakewalk for Kilkenny, especially a kind of a, a, a hurt Wexford, um, you know, trying to redeem themselves after after last year. So, like, I mean, the, the Leinster Championship is pretty exciting in its own right um, as well. Uh, so I was given out about the schedule for the intercounty season last week on the show here, uh, Connor. I also tweeted about it and I was pointing out the awful schedule that the hurlers have with the three week lead yeah. in time. And like I got an awful lot of re- replies back on Twitter saying, why are you so negative? It's great to have the games back. Why can't you look on the positive? And this kind of nonsense. Sometimes I feel supporters are very, very selfish when it comes to Intercounty games. It's like these players' welfare is not my concern. I want to see these matches. Do you know what I mean? I'm delighted for myself. This is fantastic. I can sit down in front of the telly and watch these fellas. I don't care if they get injured or it's a desperately hard schedule. And I don't even want that pointed out. That's not what I care about. Stop being negative. This was the kind of the kind of responses I was getting back. Like, and it is a desperately cruel 
and grueling schedule. And I was delighted this week for inter-county managers to come out and say the same thing. Like Michal Donoghue said it last week on RT somewhere. I saw it on their website. He wants unlimited substitutions. And Mike Quirk and James Horan both agree with that. Mike Quirk had said, I never understood the logic of reducing six subs to five. I think they were reduced to five last year because of COVID, Connor. I always remember them being being six yeah. anyways. Um, I think that's the other way we should be going. You're asking fellas in a 32, 33, 34-man panel to train as hard as they can. You should be able to give as much time and opportunity to as many fellas as possible, really, without completely disrupting the flow of the game. Like... I'm all for unlimited subs. We've tried unlimited subs in the Auburn Cup. I'm sure you did in the FBD League and all the, the preseason games where the game isn't stopped. You're just running in and out a bit like uh, a bit like basketball. I would hate to see it in the championship. Imagine trying to analyse a game, Connor. where you, where, where did he go? Who's, in, who's on the field? It would be literally impossible. And I just don't want it. But I think an exception this year for the league, knowing how little lead-in time the players have had and knowing how... You know, you need to gradually build this up and build this up. And if you've used your five subs and a fella is, you know, his hamstring's a little bit tight, geez, you need to get that man off the field. Yeah. So, so for the league in this, in these, under these circumstances, particularly, Willie, yeah, I'd be inclined to, um, to cautiously agree. So, like, if you're, so what's unlimited? So you're still working with a panel of 26, right? So you'd have a sub goalkeeper. So you're probably looking at what, 10 subs, is it? So I suppose the danger there is that, the danger of, of having unlimited subs is that it turns into a kind of a challenge game feel and it kind of completely disrupts. But like the, these games are important. You'd hope that the importance of the league in both codes would prevent that from happening. You know, managers still want to win the games at the end of the day. And it's a it's it's a matter of it's a matter of player welfare. That's that's why they want the unlimited substitution. That's it. But that I, I, I'd agree with you as well in terms of I'd only tend to agree with these under those circumstances because something Mike Quirk there said about completely disrupting the flow of the game is 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 really important. Like I I think that like when you have like I think six subs is a good number. And then part of the challenge then as a manager is to effectively manage those players throughout the game. So you know when a player needs to be taken off or you know when a player needs to be introduced to make a difference. Rather than if you're being given unlimited subs, you know, you don't want it going like rugby where the entire an entire line is you know, is replaced after with 20 minutes to go and it does completely disrupt the flow of the game. So, but like for me, you know, water breaks are still going to be in. So it's going to be disrupted to, you know, to a certain degree anyway. So as long as it's not, it doesn't completely disrupt, you know, the flow of the game for the, for the player welfare in this situation for the league. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, whether they'll do that or not, um, I'm not too sure. It also gives players a little bit more game time. You're on a panel of 30. You can only bring on five subs. You know, you really need to bring on five different subs every, every for five games, you know, or whatever, yeah. four games to be getting your whole panel some sort of run. And it's a short enough season. Like, they all should see some little bit of game time. I think the increasing the subs for the league, because there's some big differences between this year and last year. Connor, like, I mean, last year, the inter-county season started after a full club season. So, like, yeah. these lads were well match fit by the time the inter-county season. And trust me, club championship up to inter-county championship, there's a huge step up in intensity and fitness levels required. There's an extra 10 minutes to, to begin with, an extra maybe 15 minutes when you add on all the extra time we're seeing in the inter-county game now. So, like, I mean, it's a completely different ballgame. The ground is going to be harder. 
you know, the inter-counties going on in the summer this time instead of the winter last year. So there's massive differences. And I'd, you probably saw the news, worrying news from a Mayo point of view, is Aidan O'Shea got injured last night in training. It looked like a knee injury. Maybe we're not too sure it was an innocuous enough. But there you go. You just hope that this isn't something I, I'm predicting that we will see a lot of injuries. Um, yeah. to, in, in injuries, I was looking at some stats on the 42.e that injuries were up last year and that was based off the schedule we had last year never mind this year yeah and that that was coming in as you said off the back of a club championship listen the, the, as you said the step up from club championship to county is huge but like at least county players had the grounding of the county championship last year to kind of build up their fitness as opposed to coming from individual training on their own this year before being flown into thrown into that schedule that we've just been talking about for the last few minutes as well so that's that 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 even kind of increase it, it makes kind of uh, it makes player welfare more paramount this year and we like just mentioned last week that the league is going to favor the likes of Limerick for example who are stronger and have bigger squads and are able to rotate but like being able to introduce more subs might might kind of level that playing field a little bit more but uh just on yeah just on Aidan O'Shea um really worrying news um to, like of all the players that Mayo don't want to be injured we don't want Aidan O'Shea ever to be injured but this year particularly given you know his level of experience that the, and the fact that all the retirements we've had do you know what I mean like uh, I was just reading in the Mayo news there that he's played 58 consecutive champions games yeah has, I was just going to say to you he never gets injured hasn't missed a championship game since 2012 I hadn't realised that till I read it in the Mayo News like you you know Aidan O'Shea is always there but that's unbelievable going for a player who's as physical as Aidan O'Shea do you know yeah. for, for the position he plays in uh, for, for the belts that he gets do you know what I mean to, to have that many consecutive championship games when Mayo have been in campaigns where they're playing like 16 15 16 championship you know 15 16 games a season is is, is really impressive so um, do you know it's the, the rumour mill has been an overdrive that was the the, the immediate thought was might be cruciate. There's some are saying media ligaments now, but we don't know. We don't know yet, and it's it's kind of pointless speculating until it's confirmed. So, um, just so fingers crossed. But even if it is, you're he's looking at a couple of months up, months out maybe anyway, and then we'll have to build himself up. So just fingers crossed, it's not as bad as 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 originally feared, but it's a blow anyway. Yeah, look, you've Sligo and Leach from first two games. You'll be grand. He'll be he'll be back for that. <laughs> um, okay, so Orla Dwyer became the second Irish player to win the AFLW Championship after Brisbane Lions beat Adelaide Crows um, in the final on Saturday. And she joins us on the line now. How's it going, Orla? Good. How are you, Carl? Very good. Very good. Come here. Have the celebrations died down over there? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we had a busy few days there from um, Saturday until Tuesday, but... Um, yeah, no, we've been quiet the past two days and we have our best and fairest awards night tomorrow night. So everyone's looking really looking forward to that. Right. OK, so to keep it going, to give you your, your medals very quick after the final in the GEA, you're waiting months. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, it's great. It's it ha- all happened very quickly here, which is good. And come here, what, what are the celebrations like now in Australia and Brisbane after winning compared to Tipperary winning an All-Ireland um, intermediate title. Like, do you bring the cup around and fill it up full of uh, spirits and drink out of it? Or is there <laughs> owl, owl stock in pubs singing songs? What, what's it like? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Very similar, um, big celebrations um, in both on both teams. But um, we actually stayed, because um, we were playing in Adelaide on Saturday, we stayed in Adelaide Saturday night and we, we had a function down there and had to get up early and be at the airport by 8am for our flight back to Brisbane. So so that was a rough one on, on Sunday, but came back to Brisbane then on Sunday and we had another function with the club um, 
in a hotel near here. And then Monday was our Mad Monday, which is which is very popular with the AFL teams here. So we we dressed up as um, a country. We were in pairs. We dressed up as a country. Um, and just yeah, we went to the captain's house and we had a DJ there and stuff. So so that was great. We were we were Scotland, so that so that was interesting. We were wearing the kilts and dressed up. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, no it's great. And and then Tuesday night was um W Awards, which which would be the equivalent of let's say the All Stars. So a few a few girls on our team got a bite to them and came away with some with an All Australian Award and Goal of the Year. So um, yeah, delighted for them and and looking forward now to to our own best and fairest on Friday. Jesus, yeah, you're having a fantastic week altogether. What do you remember of the final? You had an excellent game yourself. You had 16 disposals and six tackles. Uh, yeah, it was it, it actually to be honest, it went so, so fast the game and like like all finals are, I think the intensity was just much higher and, and the pressure. There was there wasn't much room to do much. Um, because of uh, the way the game was and, and we kind of expected that going in after playing our prelim final the previous week against Collingwood um, we knew that the stakes would be high going in and I think yeah it just came down at the end to who wanted it the most and every everyone on our team played um, superb and contributed and, and did the roles super and some more than others with having tagging roles on some of the Adelaide um, star star forwards like Aaron Phillips and their midfielders um who we had tagged to, so yeah, phenomenal. It was a phenomenal experience, I suppose, playing in front of um, a huge crowd down in Adelaide. I think there was over twenty nine thousand Adelaide supporters and about a thousand, I'd say, Brisbane supporters. <laughs> but you could you could hear them once once the scores happened or once the tackle was made. Um, yeah, the atmosphere was phenomenal. It's interesting that you say those tagging jobs because usually, well, I'm looking at kind of interview a good few of the the men that have gone out there and the, the, the Gaelic footballers are usually given that tagging job. They're played wing back and it's pro- I was told that it's the easiest to help you adapt. You're playing wing forward, which is technically a difficult position to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose um, this year I got kind of, Last year I played in the the forward line and 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 this year I'm kind of yeah more kind of on the winger role so you kind of pick up the you get on the ball a bit more which I enjoy um I know it's big with AFLW is you don't get as much touches as you would um a Gaelic football game or or a Camogie game as well with with just the rotations and the way the game goes as well so yeah no I I'm delighted playing in that role and got to I. I suppose it was more like midfield, which I would play back home. So, right. yeah, no, it's been great and stuff. And, I, yeah, those roles are hard. And um, I think the players that do that, fair, fair, fair juice to them. And we have some phenomenal players on our team that do that to a tee. So, yeah, it's been great. Is it difficult kind of getting used to the midfield in the, the way the game is out there? There might be a little bit more kicking. So you're coming short for a hand pass like you might do in GEA and the ball's yeah. going over your head and you're running up and back and the ball is, <laughs> you're spending a lot of time looking up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's just kind of um, learning the role as well. Um, I kind of just do what um, I do in Gaelic. So I think it's just bringing that pressure and tracking up and down the field and getting back to help the defenders and being out for them and, and also getting up to the forwards and, and, and being an option up there too. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed the role. And I think I've from having the experience from last year um, of the few games, I think it really stood to me this year going into pre-season and then into the season as well. And just knowing what to expect. And even with the whole contact, um, which, I, which I haven't experienced before last year, um, getting used to tackling and 
being able to take the contact and knowing where it's going to come from as well is something that um, was new to me. But um, yeah, no, I loved it this year and and um, hopefully that hopefully it can continue that way. It's nice to see you're still kicking around the corner like in the GA anyway. I saw your I saw your <laughs> I don't assist. Think that will ever change. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your assist. It was called an assist for Courtney Hodder's unbelievable goal, but I don't think I'm gonna credit you with an assist for that. You were going for your own score, no? <laughs> yeah, I think that's just the look of it then as well. With with the way um our forwards have like all the small forwards have, have been practicing that all year that once we kick in a ball to them from the midfield or the hat or the forward fifty that they're, they're just there picking them up and, and creating scores out of nothing, literally. So, yeah, no, very lucky to have su- such skill forwards up there for, for those crazy kicks. Come here, you, got, you, went out back, you went back out earlier this year than the other Irish girls. Um, w- you know, would you put that down to your form this year or explain why, you know, why you went out earlier than the rest? Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a difficult decision. Um, but I knew that our pre-season started um, kind of end of October, start of November time. And I think being away from um, AFL and from my, watching my season last year, I knew that I kind of needed a head start, let's say, so um, coming into the team. So I, I was eager to get out and, and not miss um, as much pre-season as I could. So, yeah, it was a difficult decision. Um, obviously, we were still in the championship with the Tipperary Ladies Football and the Camogie, and um, we we were in um, the quarter final. We got to um, at that stage, so yeah, it was definitely very hard leaving them teams and decided to come out here. And it, it was it all happened so quickly as well. I I had flights cancelled previously, and then airlines weren't flying to Australia, and it just was going around and around. So I think once the flights came up, um, it was two days. Um, I had to t- let everyone know literally. So. Um, it was just waiting for that to go ahead. And once it did and I got out here and got my two weeks quarantine done and got back into the team, um, it was great. And I feel like I didn't miss as much. And I think it definitely did add to um, my season this year. Um, with the likes of the other Irish girls, you see they came out in late December and they had to do their quarantine in Perth, most of them. And at that stage, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to even leave the room for fresh air. Whereas I, I got the lucky draw earlier when I came out, and I got to leave and go for walks, um, and go down, go down outside, and maybe read a book or do some exercise. So yeah, I was definitely grateful to, to have that. Right. So how much extra training did you get in that professional environment than the other Irish girls, for example? Like, I mean, you know, you would have got a lot of strength and conditioning done. You would have got a lot of recovery in between done. You weren't probably chasing your tail as much as the rest. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose it, yeah, it comes down to, um, yeah, just being there first. So they, I think most of them girls came out of quarantine, I think Christmas Day or maybe the day before Christmas whereas I came out the end of November. So I suppose I had that extra month and right. just the climate as well to, to adjust to the Australian hot summers um, was, was huge too. Yeah. Come here, you, re- you must have really wanted this because I was reading that um, some of the girls were initially asked, but you actually applied. Um, it's cross-coders, it's called. So you sent in an application. It's something that you really wanted to do. Yeah, I think... Um, I suppose it's every athlete's dream really to get to get the chance to play professionally. And from seeing the likes of Cora Staunton, um, Ashley McCarthy, who, play, who plays for Tipperary as well, and yeah. Sarah Rowe, Aileen Constantine, they all came out the year or two before. And I suppose we couldn't really watch as much AFLW then, and I didn't know much about it. But I just saw that 
these Irish girls were doing really, really well and were very successful with all their clubs. They were all getting gains and they were they were all picking up the touches, disposals, and they looked like they were just fitting in perfectly. So, oh yeah, I I said then that once um, if I did get the opportunity, I definitely grab it with both hands. So yeah, I applied for cross borders and sent in some clips of me playing camogie and Gaelic football and um, kind of just sent it on to Jason who who is um, manager of the cross coders and he kind of sent it out to different clubs here and some clubs got back who are interested and I suppose Brisbane Lions just came up then and yeah I suppose uh, just went with them then in the end and I'm so so grateful that I did. Yeah, you had lo- yeah, it was an inspired choice looking back now. But like, I mean, <laughs> you, you, there was loads of interest in you once you sent in the clips and stuff. So, you know, it's interesting that they're probably not seeing as many girls, you know, as they as they probably could. This thing could even get more popular. Yeah, definitely. And I think if anything, this this season with TJ Cahar um, showing the game in Ireland, there's been huge interest. And I know a lot of my friends and I know a, a lot of people have trying to get in touch and, and try and get out here, which is great to see. Um, there's obviously um, a good area for Irish players to come out and seeing how successful all the Irish girls are, I suppose, having those Gaelic um, traits and stuff and bringing that to um, the AFL because a lot of the skills do transfer over is huge. It, it's it's an interesting one that you chose Brisbane as well. A brave enough one. Now it's not that brave that you chose the Gold Coast, but at the same time, all the other girl, all the other girls would have been in Melbourne. It probably would have been an easier choice, maybe to stay close to the you know the the, the Irish girls. Um, yeah, I, I suppose yeah, it was it was a tough decision to make, but um, I actually didn't even I didn't even know Brisbane was really a city in Australia. I only heard about the Melbournes and Perth and Sydney. So yeah, yeah, it was great um, to get the experience to come out here and I think it was just down to the way the club um, spoke to me and, and the way they talked about how I play and how my style could contribute to, to their team and they had a real interest as well Craig Starchevich, um, our coach, our head coach has, has a huge interest in um, the Gaelic football and camogie and I think he follows all the temporary camogie and ladies football and he sometimes knows the news sometimes before me and um, yeah it's great that he has such a great interest in it too and I think that really helped um, to make my decision too, and just yeah, the club here it's it's been great, and um, I'm really I'm really happy that I that I did decide to come here. Yeah. So what's the plan now? My my advice is do not come near Ireland for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No. No. I'm definitely looking forward to um, to getting back to to training back in tip with the camogie and, and ladies football. I see that they, they were able to go back training and that started the week. So so that's hugely exciting for them. And um it's obviously very hard to get back into the team. And um, I haven't picked up a earlier game football in a while. But yeah, no, I think being away from from the GA scene and coming out here playing another sport that that's new to you, you, you do realise how much you really love playing the camogie and football and you look forward to getting back to the team that, that you've been playing with since under 14 off and seeing how the changes are happening and new younger players coming in and yeah no, I'm really looking forward to getting back to that um, but I think I'm going to stay here for a couple of weeks and we have a few trips planned and a few events coming up and I suppose enjoy the time in Brisbane and, and see what it has to offer here because once you're in season and pre-season um, it's very short season so you don't have time to really go travelling or to get out much either so um It'd be nice just to relax and to get to see more, more of Australia. 
Yeah, exactly. Go up the East Coast or something before before you come yeah. home. You'll be home here long enough and nothing's open, Orla. So just don't do it. Stay where you are. That's my advice. <laughs> come here, you're you're like, I mean, are you going to make this a habit? I know you're in UL in college doing PE, which might scupper it. But like, I mean, are you thinking of going, coming home, going, coming home, um, you know, for the foreseeable future? <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, re- I suppose I really haven't thought that far ahead. I'm kind of just looking in the present at the moment. But um, yeah, um, I suppose yeah, if 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 it if it is doable, I, I'd love to be able to do all the sports together. But um, yeah, I suppose at times it's like like this year with the coronavirus, um, it did get affected, and you'd have to make that decision and stuff. But um, yeah, I suppose I'll just take take it as it comes and see how long I I can stay playing the the sports for and. I know at some stage ones will have to give when I get a bit older, but um, yeah, we'll just see what happens. And my degree is obviously very important to me too. Um, I've two years done of becoming a teacher and I've two left to do as well. So um, yeah, I'm looking into options and stuff about that. And I know that I want to be a teacher at the end of the day. So it's important to have that degree um, once, once I finish up playing. So yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, just, just taking it as it comes and, and trying to organize organize it in the future, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. But, like, I mean, before I let you go, like, I mean, I'm not looking to know how much you wear out there, but I'm just, like, the ladies' <laughs> game, the ladies' game is is getting bigger and bigger out there. Like, would there be a future potentially, you know, playing full-time professional out there? Um, yeah, I think I think that is the, the goal of the AFLW. Like, it's only a five-year five um, season so far, and to see how far they've gone from the first season to the fifth season is, is huge. Even even from last year to this year, I've noticed big big differences as well. So, yeah, it's crazy to see how, how big it can get and can it get to that full professional like the men's, um, I wonder, at some stage. But, um, yeah, no, I suppose um, the girls here working part-time and semi-professional, I suppose they've just adjusted to that lifestyle and it would be great to get to play the full professional, but... Yeah, I'm definitely privileged to even even get to play out here at all and, and get paid. So, yeah, no, it's huge. And it'd be interesting to see how big it does get and will it become more global as well. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see it to see it expand. You're only 22, so you've loads more years. It might happen before <laughs> before you're finished. Here, before I let you go, how, 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 come, how come you ditched a bandana out there? Did you did you think it would get pulled off you? Did you not always wear a coloury bandana playing oh, GEA? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I, I brought it over with me last year and this year and you're not allowed to wear because it's not part of the uniform. So unless I want the club getting a huge fine every time I play, <laughs> I have to ditch that. But um, yeah, I'll definitely be wearing the red one when I, when I come back to this. <laughs> I miss it. Yeah. Listen, Orla, thanks very much for giving us your time and uh, we'll see you home soon. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Great stuff from Orla there. I don't think, uh, Connor, anything will explain the draw and the love of the GA. Now, of course, I'm not going to dismiss her family, which is a draw, which is a draw for Orla as well. But to say that she wants to come back to play GA, Camogie and football with Tipperary, she's on the Gold Coast. She is, there is zero restrictions and she's coming home to this godforsaken country, Connor, that we'd all love to get out of there because of her love of camogie and Gaelic football. It's just, it's, it's, it blows my mind. That's the GEA for you. Connor would be crying if he was still on the show, Connor. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's turning into winter over there, Willie, do you know? So yeah, <laughs> the weather is obviously going to be much better over here when it comes into the summertime. No, no, listen, in fairness, that's, it's, it's, um, 
it's great. It's great to hear that you know she still has the pull, having having the the, the pull of GA is still so strong after after what she's experienced, kind of down under. You know, a brilliant achievement as well. I was half open. There's a big Mayo contingent uh, with the AFLW clubs um, club down in uh, down in Australia as well. But great to great to see that um, great to see that, that 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 somebody from Ireland got got to win it anyway. But uh, will it matter as much as what she whatever she might win this uh, this season in GA? Will he not by the sounds of things? No, I don't think so. A um, few retirements to to um, get to here. Conal Keeney, our own Conal Keeney, who's a pundit on the show. He's finally retired. 20 years he's been serving the Dublin senior footballers and hurlers. 20 years from 18 to 38, um, which is incredible, really. And Anthony Daly was talking during the week. He said he was winning Leinsters with the footballers. But I remember making the point to him one night on a call that one Leinster hurling uh, title would be worth all the all the ones he had. I don't know. He might have had five at that stage. He was a great player, and if there was one thing um, that was the catalyst for us kicking on in 2010, it was him moving over. It was massive. It seemed to fill the rest of the boys with fierce belief as well that Keeney was going to give up football, um, you know, and come across to the hurlers. Sometimes, like I mean, he's just even two years ago when Pat Gilroy took them over, he put in a performance in Parnell Park against Kilkenny, which was just absolutely phenomenal. Like, he, he's a bit of a freak. Aidan O'Shea's a freak. Zach too, he's a freak. You know what, now, even though Conal's got a few injuries, these lads are just physical specimens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, him, Conal Keeney, to me, at, like, 36 or 37, wasn't that much different from... No. You know, when he was maybe late 20s, early 30s, just just as you said, a physical freak. And I always just, he was just, it was always brilliant to watch. He was just one of those proper, like, listen, don't, I don't mean this to demean Conal Keeney's skill, you know, or, you know, accuracy as a forward, let's say, in both football and in hurling. But like, what kind of most took me was just uh, how much of a warrior he was in, in both codes. And that's, and you talked about the career that he had there with the county. I mean, like, how 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 many times did Conal Keeney's season go into December and January and you know over Christmas with with, with Ballyboden as well in both courts? So like I know he didn't win the big one, like he did get his Leinster hurling title when he made the switch. He kind of missed out on a little bit of success with the footballers when he left. But I mean, when he looks back, what what an unbelievable career! Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they often wonder, like, would Kieran Kilkenny, Cormac Costello, Conor Callaghan, like, after winning another? All-Ireland a five in a row like would they be having a few pints after winning the All-Ireland and go here lads will we will we give up and go over and try and win one with the hurlers will we do what Conal Keeney did like I'd say they would and then they probably wake up the next day with a hangover and go Jesus we were talking some shit last night <laughs> yeah AIG are on the phone lads they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what were we thinking thank God I didn't text Matty Kenny I was nearly going to do it wouldn't be like I wouldn't be surprised now maybe not going as far as what I'm saying but but I'd say they definitely have a few drunken chats about we have to do it, lads. We have to do it. Um, I suppose Conal. Yeah, they're friends in the hurlers as well, Willie. And I'm sure like there's there's no shortage of conversations as well amongst uh, those lads trying to get them over. And why would like after a while, I'm not just saying this from 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 a county who suffered at the hands of the Dublin footballers over the years. But when you've had so much success at the football, why not try your hand at the hurling as well? Especially no, if, like, especially if it's your first love. And in in the terms of most, in the cases of most dual players, hurling tends to be uh, their first love. So essentially, what I'm saying, uh, Willie, is anyone with any hurling potential on the Dublin football team should move immediately. <laughs> I think Eric Lowndes is a good hurler too. There's a few of them because obviously Dublin invested so much money into both hurling and football. I don't Underage. They all seem, a lot of them seem to be good um, dual players. Noelle Healy um, retired as well during the week. She ended up winning five 
All Ireland's a player of the year. She's four All Stars. She lost three All Ireland's before she won one. Um, you know, which I often think when you see the, you know, them winning their their four, they're at four in a row. I think the the women are now that you know they kind of deserve it, knowing you know, what it's like to lose them. It looked like they weren't going to get over the line. Ten Leinsters. It sounds like a list of achievements, that, you know, of the men. But I think Lindsay Davies summed it up uh, for me with Noelle Healy. I'm a big fan of Noelle Healy. She's just a really exciting speed demon player who takes, uh, you know, takes people on. And when she gets the ball, there will be a little bit of a buzz around her. You know, that type of a player. Yeah. That you might you might stand up off your seat. Um, Lindsay Davy explained it well. She says, there's no better feeling in a game when you're out on your feet lay off the ball to Noel Healy and just watch her take off off the pitch. <laughs> I mean, I love players like that. Yeah, almost Jack McCaffrey-esque, uh, like I suppose, but like uh, that 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 game that you're talking about, Willie, that, so she lost three and then of course the one that she wins was against Mayo in 2017 when she was, uh, <laughs> she was man of the, she was player of the match and she was player of the year that year as well. Like I, Noel Healy's only 30. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I, like I thought she had maybe more in her, but then you look back, you, you just listed off her achievements there. She's been playing senior for Dublin for 14 years <laughs> you know, um, I think she won in a, she's won all Ireland's a club as well. She won an all Ireland club when she was down, down working in Cork. Do you know what I mean? So like she's uh, she's probably packed enough in, but I'm sure there's probably inter-county players from other counties um, around the country probably not too disappointed to hear that she's calling it a day because yeah. she's uh, an incredible player. She's a doctor down in Cork. I presume that's why she retired at 30. Like she has plenty more years probably to give, but if she, I, th- I, I thought she'd transfer down to that club because she's a doctor. I think she's a doctor down in a uh, hospital yeah. in Cork. So this, as far as I know. Yeah. Anesthetist, yeah, anesthetist. Peter Crowley is another one. He's only 30 as well. Um, uh, he's been he he's retired and this is a bit of a surprise apparently a little birdie told me he's that the, this was kept very quiet because he'd left the players whatsapp group three months ago <laughs> so um, I don't know maybe he's only made it made it public but he he came back this is again it's a surprising one like Noel only 30 um, Noel like we said is probably uh, a commute uh, Peter doesn't have a commute he battled back from a 19 month cruciate knee ligament injury to get back on the team last year um, obviously the last the semi-final to Cork you would think he has a little bit of unfinished business coming back this year Connor, rather than saying ah look that's the end of it for me yeah I just wonder what the conversations were uh, with Peter Keane uh, well, maybe they were similar to the ones that Kieran Kingston had with uh, with Aidan Welsh because um, I think that uh I think Kerry are going to miss him. I think, uh, you know, I, th- I think he has been, he has had his injuries over the last couple of years, but we keep going back to it. We'll probably go back to it again this year. This centre half back is a big problem position for Kerry. And I think of all the people, of all the players that have played there for Kerry in recent years, he was, he was probably the most suitable. So uh, I don't know have they got a solution to it yet, but to me, you know, as you said, only 30, you know, I, I, I think he had at least a couple of years left in him yet. So, I, I, I'd like to maybe hear a bit more about that, but I, I do think Kerry are going to miss him. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like, I mean, he was nailed on for centre-back. And interestingly, before he came back last year, um, Peter Keane was playing Shane Enright centre-back. That's who his choice for centre-back was. And Shane Enright has obviously ret- uh, retired since he was on the show back in January. So, like, the number six position is way up for grabs. Jack Sherwood is the name that jumps out to me. Gavin Crowley might go from the wing into centre-back. But there's no... You know, there's no name that's necessarily coming to you that is going to go, you're going to go wow. So, like, I yeah. mean. Yeah, even Shane Enright, you know, to, to, to me, like, he could do a job there, but maybe not to the level of, uh, of Peter Crowley. Gavin Crowley, I think, could play there. Jack Sherwood could play there. Have they done enough in the, 
last couple of years to suggest that 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 six might be a permanent position for them. I'm not sure. The other one, Ty Morley has played there, but he's more needed at fullback. And Paul Murphy could probably do a job, but Paul Murphy, to me, he might be needed to man mark. Or Paul Murphy is a brilliant spare man, I think. And Kerry are probably going to have a spare man a lot of the time rather than, you know, a fixed position at centre-back. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what they do with that. But I would have had Crowley down for it. I would have had Peter Crowley down for it. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's going to continue to be a, a problem position for, for Kerry for at least this season anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. So, I'll leave the last word to Davy Burke. He's talking about the Leinster Championship and he's given out about how it's a closed shop. Um, that you can practically predict the four that's going to be in the semi-finals. And let's be honest, that's the same in every province. You could easily predict a semi-finalist in, in, all, in all of the provinces, really. Um, he says, ultimately, uh, we can probably tell you that who's the top four will be again this year. It has to be changed. There has to be a change coming. Now, there is a change coming next year, obviously, maybe not to the provincials, but at least they will be pulled away from the All-Ireland series, which is great. He says, otherwise, how is anyone going to break in? It's like you going up to a pub and the bouncer turns you away and says regulars only. Um, and you say, I'm only after moving to the area. How do I become a regular if you won't let me in? Uh, I'm sure a little, a little anecdote that everyone listening can relate to. 100%. Davey Burke should have said something similar about the European Super League this week uh, as well, to be honest. But uh, I'm not going to be able to top that from, from Davey Woolley, so uh, I'm not going to even try. So, yeah. first time. Well said, Davey Burke. Yeah, and I'm surprised Davey Burke doesn't know what, what you do in that situation is you get in there before the bouncer and you fall <laughs> out past the bouncer. That's how you do it. And then he'll recognise you the next time. So, like, I mean, Davey's a little bit naive in that situation. Anyways, listen, we'll be back with Paddy Talley. he gave me back then was he, we were in the Glenroy on a night out and he, I'd never met him before and he put his arm around me and he said you won't go too far wrong if you win the ball and give it to me I said alright well okay that's great advice yeah it was <laughs> for you malamente si si So as we mentioned earlier in the show, Down have drawn Donegal in the preliminary round of the Ulster Championship this year. To get a bit of reaction to that, we have Down manager Paddy Talley on the line. How's it going, Paddy? That's a bad column. Is it fair to say that draw wasn't too kind to you? Column, the Ulster Championship, no matter who you draw, is always going to be very difficult. Um, but Donegal, obviously one of the better, one of the best teams in the country have been for this last number of years. So um, we expect a really, really really tough challenge to draw but you know to be to be honest with you it's it's a way down the line and um, the league coming up is really important to us so uh, that'll be our primary focus for the next few weeks yeah the the preliminary round isn't as scary as it used to be I suppose with Cavan last year Donegal in 2018 it used to be the case that it was impossible to go the four games yeah yeah that's I don't know what the reason is for that you know um you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it should make an awful lot of difference, really. It's only an extra game of football. <laughs> yeah. um, some, sometimes, you know, if you think about it, like it, it even makes sense that the extra game would do you the world of good. Uh, and and uh, if you get a bit of a run, the momentum, would, uh, it's always a good thing to have. So maybe the extra game is seen as a benefit, certainly last year for Calvin. Once they got on a bit of a roll, they were, they were fantastic. So, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't think Squares should really make an awful lot of difference. 
Yeah, they did. They Cavan definitely kind of got on the roll, but you were very close to them. Like, I mean, a lot of people would say you should have beaten them that day. And then when you see what they did to Donegal in the final, you know, that must give you a lot of confidence. Well, there was no fluke. You know, Cavan's been coming for a number of years. If you look yeah. at the, if you get their uh, track records, especially at the 21 level, four or five years ago, you know, they brought the, and a lot of those players now are starting to blossom into really, really good senior players. And you could see it coming for a while with Cavan and, and they had form last year, you know, at the right time. Uh, once they got their the win against Monaghan, the, the belief they got from that, obviously, Monaghan were a bit like ourselves. We're in a really good position at half time. We didn't close the game out and we should have. Monaghan the same. And and then they caught Donegal in the semi-final and probably Donegal. Um, I'd say Donegal two big wins, Armand, Tyrone, and, and maybe didn't see Cavan coming really as strong as they were. Um, yeah. But and all all credit to Cavan, I thought they were, they were fantastic last year and they, and they thoroughly deserved their, their championship win. So you got back training on Monday night, uh, Paddy. I presume you didn't leave it to Tuesday. You went straight back on the Monday night. I was thinking about it on Sunday, come, but then I decided not to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned that lesson. Yeah, you definitely have. Um, no, we, no, we went back on Monday night. It was great. The, the, reason, the, the reason is most of the clubs are back out again here. Uh, and uh, we train in club pitches and that as well, and, and just availability. So we're able to get a pitch on Monday night where the, the, the club weren't weren't using it. So that's, that's, where the, that's where the Monday night came out of. What was the mood like? They were like uh, new foals kind of running for the first time. Tails up over their backs, Colin. Tails back over their backs. <laughs> they're ma- they're ma- well, in fairness, in fairness, the lads have been out to their clubs last week, which was great. And uh, but the, that was that was really important for them. So they had a week with their club. They got the ball back in their hand, and then when they came back to us on on Monday uh, night, there was a there was, it was it was good. Now there was a good anticipation there, and there's a good buzz about them. And and this is I think just just glad you're back there playing football. You know, you, you know yourself as being a county player, like, you know, a big part of your life is dedicated to your training and, and playing football. Yeah. So, you know, and you, the reason you do this is because you enjoy it. You don't see it as a chore or something hard. You really enjoy being part of that and especially at top level. You know, you, you, you strive to become as, a, as an inter-county player and then you want to make the, make the inter-county team and, and establish yourself in the championship team. These, these lads are the same, they're no different than anybody else and, and uh, it was great to see them back out again and um, no, I was happy with the way they, they wintered as well they, they didn't seem to look after themselves okay too, which is, which is very, very positive but I suppose that's the thing we were saying on the show last last week is the amount of downtime these lads would have in their day when they're just not used to it. They're used to coming and going and training and being busy and is that the kind of feedback you'd be getting from them, like how bored they are? Or they were I, yeah. I think anybody this, this this last six months, I think we've all experienced that. You know, if you if you're involved in sport or anything, do the sport. You you, you don't do it during the day because we're amateur. We do it at night or do it in the evenings or we do it at the weekends. You know, so during the day it's not too bad when you're working and you have things to keep going. But it's, it's that evening. What do you do from you finish your work until to bedtime? Normally yeah. those those days are filled with your uh, with your sport. And I think we've all experienced that and how we dealt with it and and how we've been able to. Keep a focus on our football um, and looking forward to it. I think it's been a, it's been one of the challenges. But um, no, the, uh, we, we have been in touch throughout. We've been keeping in touch with the players throughout the lockdown and ensuring that they've been they've been doing bits and st- bits and pieces of, of training to keep themselves right by themselves and, and just taking over. You know, so I think it's, I think it'll, everybody's experienced it. Like so, though to be honest, we're having too many conversations about how and then the players really felt they want to speak to. Speak to me about an issue like you know generally they've got on with it well themselves so uh, I 
think they want to put it behind them now and get on with their football. Yeah, hopefully we're we're back without any any more interruptions now. Come here, so your suspension is lifted now, right? So it was the tenth of February, I think that went from tenth of February, March, April. So you're back. Yeah, I'm a free man. I'm a free man. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was released from incarceration on the on the fourth of fourth of April. So uh, that was a relief too. Yeah. <laughs> Come here. What happened with that? So all I'm reading is that you're in a school in Yuri. What were you doing? I'm pleading the fifth on that one now. Plead the fifth. You won't answer. Plead the fifth on that one. No, it wasn't. It was. It was. It was quite innocent. Um, we were. I think we were supposed to go back on the fifteenth of January, and, and there was a, we had a lot of young players that we don't normally get an opportunity to see. Especially when we, we we thought would be it'd be you know go out and get a bit of a running program. Sure, lads, what they wanted to do in terms of running program, a wee bit of a a wee bit of you know, can mechanics exercises and various things just to so that they can get on with the work themselves. Because when you at that stage we didn't know when things were going to start and we we right. thought it was going to be a very start running. I think we were given a different start. I can't remember the initial dates, but from I looked at it from the date we were I think it was the fifteenth of January, we were going to be back to in our first match within four or five weeks after that. And we thought, well if we give these boys a bit of a bit of work to do now and then they can it'll help them take over. But uh is we didn't really feel as if we we're doing anything wrong because the rules and the, the rules and the law in the north was at the time that because you're elite sport and you were staying in groups of under 15 and we we weren't breaking any laws as such we felt that it was um been been, been okay but um but it, it wasn't in the ga rules were broken and we have to accept that so we just had to take the punishment on the chin and get on with it Right. Okay. So it was like a, it was a get together with like almost like the first session of the year to give a bit of information about what lads needed to do and stuff like that. More or less, yeah. More or less, and then the police arrived. The police arrived. Yeah, the, the police service in Northern Ireland arrived and to see us how we're getting on. So, but they, in, in, in fairness, calling it there was there was no issue, you know, there, and they didn't have any issue with doing more breaking any laws and right. They were, satisfied what they saw and, and I think the, the word the guy said listen to him and be holding you back well, where you go you know what you're training Right so I suppose for that reason that's why your suspension was reduced from the 12 weeks down to the 8 because you weren't actually breaking any restrictions Maybe well, that's not the GA's business I suppose mm-hmm. anyways is it? Listen it's, it's a great listen we look, looking back at it if I had to do it again I wouldn't have done it because the, the yeah. GA they didn't put the regulation that there's no collective and, and by the rules of the organisation, 7.2E or whatever the rule was, you know, I remember looking back at the rules that just, if one or more people are asked to be at a certain place at a certain time and a certain date, that constitutes a collective training session. So I didn't understand the rules until I really started reading into it. But really, if you ask one player to be one place at a certain time, you've broken the rule. Right, right. So so really, we hadn't really got a leg to stand on. We had to accept that we had broken the rule and, and we uh, just get on with it. You might plead the fifth on this, but I'd say you sat back in your chair with a smile when you saw the Dubs and Monaghan getting caught recently. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> far, far, far from it, to be honest. With you. I think that the whole thing has been, I think that it's become a bit of a circus, you know. And, uh, and I feel yeah. for any, any, I feel for anybody who's gone through that process because it's not a nice thing to be dragged through the press and be seen as been a as a been a, some sort of a lawbreaker and be some sort of enemy of the of the public, which we're certainly not. The GA aren't like that, and anybody's involved in it knows that. So you know, it, it wasn't a comfortable position to be in, but 
Um, and, and I wouldn't take any, I wouldn't take any joy in the fact it was happening to Banty or to what's going to happen to to Desi Farrell or or, or Rona McCarthy or anybody else in the same position. It it wasn't a nice thing to be targeted with her to be. But but listen, it is what it is, and we have to just accept it and, and move on. Yeah, no, I meant in the context that they took the heat off you rather than actually, you know, I, I'm in complete agreement. Too much was made out of that altogether, you know, it's just uh, yeah. been blown up completely and, and it's not fair. Come here, so obviously you were coach of Galway before you managed down, right? So you received some criticism towards the end, a lot of praise at the start, then a little <laughs> bit of criticism towards the end. And like, I'm wondering when you went in with Galway, and you're a, a, a well-renowned coach and Kevin Walsh rings you. Is Kevin Walsh ringing you to say, I want you to implement this defensive system? Or do you, does Kevin Walsh ring you and say, come in here, you've got free reign to do kind of, you know, set up the team the way you want? No, to be honest, Colin, it was, it was, uh, the first thing I will say, it was, it was an absolute joy to work with Baldy for a year. And uh, it really, really had, a, had a, a very, very enjoyable season. And uh, to be honest, I thought we were, the, the, the disappointing with Galway is we're so close. You know, we had a beaten the National League final and, and beaten the Ireland semi final by only two the teams to beat us with Dublin like in that in that year. Yeah. And in both in both games I felt we could have won them. Um certainly thinking in the uh, we like we missed a penalty, we missed a really good goal chance in the in the semi final in the first half too, remember? Yeah. And you know, I, I thought that was I thought that was a really opportunity for Galway um to, to go to an All Ireland final. Uh, so, um, as regarding as regarding the year itself, it was uh, it was a really good learning experience for myself too. I saw a different way of doing things. I, I learned I learned a lot from the environment Kevin set up and the, the team he had set up down there. But as uh, regarding my role within it, it was it was it was quite different. You know, it, Kevin had already been I think he had four years under his belt maybe involved at that stage at three anyway, and he very much had a system in place. He had his players in place. He, he knew what he wanted. He's a very very focused manager very well organised. So when I was asking to come in to do certain of the teams, it was more or less to, to look at what was going on and think that I added a little extra to it. And and uh, where where he felt that that I could add something was maybe spring a different mentality as much as anything else, you know, to it than than maybe what he had. Uh, I suppose coming from a different completely different perspective up on Ulster. Um you know, football's different. Like it the way football's played up and also compared to what is how I thought was Ted and Connors different, you know, and yeah. and and just maybe just bring a different type of different type of thought process to it, and and I think he just enjoyed the fact that it's bringing in new ideas, and new ways of dealing with players, just ways on how to process the game plan in their heads as well. So there's a wee bit of there's a bit of that going on, um, but certainly as regarding the way that Galway are playing, it wasn't an awful lot different to what was going on before, and um, I think a lot of the criticism was quite unfair to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know whether there's a there's a notion that that it was just and change in the way Galway played and took them away from a from a you know a free flowing type of football to something more structured and defensive. But you know, really, really football has changed in any county that anybody that's uh, that studies the game knows the football's changed over the last twenty years or especially the last fifteen years. Most teams now are, are defensive, they're organised, they're set up. Um, so I don't think Galway were doing anything different than anybody else. And I think that if you look at that that year, they were still scoring heavily as well. So uh, sometimes you need to be even more further analysis on, on on some of these things to really understand what's going on. 
I think that I think that's it. Kevin Walsh gets very defensive um, about all that stuff anytime he's asked about, you know, the analysis of it. And I suppose looking from it, um, from kind of the show's point of view or things we would have said, like it's Shane Walsh, Damien Comer, Ian Burke, uh, Michal Daly and these fellas, you see them back kind of tackling or in their half back line. I think Galway kind of maybe this, because they have such kind of exceptional forwards, it was maybe frustrating when people saw them back tackling and doing a lot of defensive work. Yeah, but if you look at if you look at Dublin, you know Dean Rock doesn't spend all the time in the in the full forward line, or yeah, or you know, Kilkenny puts a shift back in there, or you know anybody. Paul Mannion, if you not remember watching Paul Mannion last year, just setting the ball on this in his own thirteen, you know, and now it's a Dublin one of the out and out forwards as well. So let's listen, let's let's make no bones about it here. Every time you're expecting your players to work, you want to see that. It's inspiration sometimes. You know, it's inspiration to see forwards working hard and putting a shift in because years ago, remember you played really, you like to stay up in the forward and out of the way and, and when the ball went up, you know, you're happy to get it. But, um, but the, the game's all changed now. We're expecting our forwards to tackle back and try, yeah. you know, to do the hard work as well. And listen, it's, <laughs> you, you can make a lot of these things, but really, if you look at it over the, the way, the, the broader context of the game, I feel that every team has adopted some sort of a defensive strategy and understands if you have if you really want to win competitions, you've got to be tight at the back and you also have to be able to ability to score. And that's where maybe that's where Bobby probably have it. You you mentioned Shane and Damien there, and Burke and, and lads they got they're, they're immensely talented players. Um, and and I think that, you know, if you look back to that set that that year, um probably weren't that far away. Uh, and I think the balance wasn't that, wasn't wasn't too bad. I think I still think if we had a score the penalty against Dublin that day in the semi final, you never know where that match would have went to, you know. And um, yeah. so yeah. fine lines. Well, that's the thing, and obviously there is the factor that wasn't there when I was playing is cornerbacks just take off now. So you, you like the reason Paul Mannion's going back a lot of the time is because he's following a man back rather than just deciding he wants to go back himself. Absolutely, and you know it's part of the system. You know, the United States, if you look at the wing backs, wing backs are, are, as, are as good in the ball as wing forwards. And wing forwards are good at defensively as wing backs. You know, backs, yeah. you know, that, that wouldn't have been the thing years ago. But now you have to look at everybody has to be really confident in the ball. Really good cornerbacks. You look at you look at any of the top teams there. I, I always admired, you know, the counties that have boys in transition. If you go back even to, let's, let's look at the, the, the Galway teams that won the Ireland's back then when you did like a Dacky Meehan playing wing back lecture. Jackie Meehan's wing half back that time was was a super wing half back, you know. Uh, Jack McCaffrey is a wing half back for Dublin. It's as good as a half forward in anything, yeah. you know. So, yeah, and and most county teams are set up that way that you've you've lads get transition from defence to attack very quickly, and you have to have that, you know. The modern day year demands that because the people that are going to have the ball in their hand most are going to be a half backs, half forwards, and midfielders, just the, the way the game is moving now. So you have to have players, ball players in those areas, and. If it means a half back finds himself in the full forward line or vice versa, or a half forward finds himself back on the goal line picking up a ball, sure, is, is that, that's part of the game. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Here, and that's, what, that's what makes the game good. Here's a question I wanted to ask you because we talk about it on the show um, a bit. Is say you want to leave three forwards up, right? Maybe one in front of two or whatever way you want to split the three of them. And you have one cornerback that keeps bursting up the field and he's dragging your fellas out and what you'd practiced isn't coming off. Like, do you always tell the forward to track him like the Paul Mannion kind of thing where he always will? And we talk on the show sometimes. Why, why are you like not every forward is built like Paul Mannion, like an athlete? You're a lot of the cornerbacks are just trying to tire their man out. You know, at what point do you say to the corner forward? 
board who's not built like Paul Mannion, leave him off, pawn him off to someone else, or is that too difficult within a game? Not really, no, and, and that's, that's a good point. And, and ideally, you want your boys maybe to drop off and pass on the man to somebody else. But generally, you know, if you look at a cornerback, if you think of that situation and the cornerback goes up the field and, and to support the attack, the reason he's left there is because somebody's picking up his man. That'd be fair enough to say. Well, not always. You know, so sometimes, yeah, sometimes they're trying to. Yeah. Dra- I, well, I think sometimes they're trying to drag the good corner forward off, and you know, take him out of there. And he know they probably know that he's going to be. He's got. Or, yeah, they might have a sweeper back, so they can probably do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, the cornerback's not going to leave his man. A corner forward stand free. So you generally, if you think about that for a second, there's a good chance that there's going to be some a free player, you know, back there that could pick up that cornerback going forward. Yeah, very rarely, very rarely see a cornerback leaving his man, running up the field, and leaving a forward stand, and they'll be marking him. You know, so you you do have to that level of communication, and boys have to be able to see what's happening in the field, make decisions on the pitch, and and, and do that. Um, so you do have to trust the players to make those right decisions at times, and um, you do, but you do have to also have to work on that. If a player's dropping off, uh, somebody else then picks him up as he's going through, and ensuring that you're you're keeping your stuff, you know, tied to the back, but. And trying to keep it forward. So, listen, you, you don't want to play in a game where you're 15 men behind the ball, but especially, especially very, very deep. I don't think it really works. I think you have to try and get the balance. Um, still, still hard to beat having six defenders, a good man to man, on their players look after their own man, and then give some sort of cover system where you have an extra player dropping back or something is great. Um, and yeah. yeah, sometimes a corner forward just has to tail back and follow his man if that's that has to be done. But you know, it's it's the game so fluid. We have a game now like this that's moved on a lot in terms of, of tactics as well. I'd like to say the biggest change in, in football, even from say 2000 or say from 2010 to now, has been a tactical change. You know, I think the game's moved on vastly tactically in 10 years or 12 years, whatever it is. And, and I think that this is the, where the difference is in the top teams. Like they, they, they tactically, they're able to adjust and change their plan on the, on the pitch and, and not have to not have to look back at it retrospectively and say, I wish I had have done this, I wish I had have done that. They, they change it then and there and they're really good teams. That makes them successful. Yeah, no, it definitely has because I'm thinking, I suppose, back to the down team that you coached in 2010 and, you know, that was the traditional type of football back then, I suppose, and, like, those days are gone. Sometimes I kind of, you know, reminisce about, not back into the 70s or 80s, because that was very, very slow stuff altogether, but the noughties was probably, the late 90s and the noughties was probably, I think, a very exciting time. Oh, Chris, even look back, you know, if you look back even to the 90s, like, you know, from, you, you take from 1990, because that decade of football was mighty, like, you know, yeah. I love that, I love that 90s, maybe just, just rose into the glass, you look back to when you're playing and you're at that age, you know, where you're playing football and you're looking up to the teams that were winning all Ireland that team, you know. We had, we had a great run also that time with, with Donegal down in Derry, all winning all Ireland and we got beaten in 95 in the final by the Dubs. But, you know, there's, there's a, that was a great era. And then if you look at the Mead teams and the Corks, that era in Galway and, geez, you know, Kerry. Yeah. It was it was great that time. You know, it really was a good era of football. And then we hit into the 2000s, I think. I think things did change in the noughties, you know, I think that they, uh, there they just seemed to be a level of professionalism kicked in, in terms of, I don't mean this in professionalism, as in, but I think we started using a lot more of the, the sports science that was available to us, and I think that then became a real driving force, maybe the coaching strategies and the coaching thoughts moved on through the noughties, and then we, we, we've, this last, this last um, 
10 years just went on ahead again, you know. If you look at yeah. the, and somebody look at it, just look at the condition of the players. Um, if you look at the, the physical condition of players now compared to 25 years ago, like, you know, and the speed of the game and the movement of the game, you know, it's, it's, it really hasn't looked a good bit. Yeah, no, it definitely has. You notice it in the compromise rules where there, there's not that huge difference between the physiques that they're used that they're used to be. Come here, before I let you go, there's been some managers talking about like you've got four weeks now, right? So I don't know how you're going to manage the four weeks or when you're going to introduce little games, you know, and build the players up to the full contact and then, you know, full games. Like there's some managers saying unlimited substitutions might work during the league, you know, to avoid that injury and bring lads in and out when they want, not stop the game. What would your thoughts on that be? Yeah, I just read that. You know, it's not actually a bad idea because um, uh, we have a very short period of time uh, to get ready for the league. We really only have the three and a half weeks when you think about it uh, to get yourself ready for the first league match. And then with the games coming thick and fast over the over the three weeks after, provided we're coming from, a, we're coming from zero, remember, you know, with no real preparation yeah. for that. So really, really the, the fact that you could have a have more option. Like really, we, have, we have 26 match day players uh, but you're allowed to use 21. Uh, you know, you're allowed, I think you're allowed, and actually only allowed to use 20, and that's down to five subs. Last year, we've seen down to five. Yes, down to five. So if you were able to, if you were able to expand that out and have it, you could, you could roll your bench completely, would it be great? And uh, over the course of the, over the course of the three games, it may give you an opportunity to get boys game time, which is, which is ultimately what players want. They want to play. They want an opportunity to play in those games. Yeah, you give all the lads a run, and you might be able to take off some lads, some lads that are cramping Absolutely. up. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we don't know, we're not really going to know comments until we start playing matches. What way the players are, you know, we can train and we can do what we can, and in terms of our, of our practice sessions over the next few weeks. But until we actually go into the heat of a battle of a competitive match, we'll not really know where the players are. So that's and that's going to be a real eye opener the first weekend of the league to see yeah. or to see, to see what the. What the, what level the players are physically, but also just for the, you know, the football level and their their, their game sense and everything else. You know, it'll be it'll be a real shock to the system, I'd say. It definitely will. Well, it's great to be back, and it's great to have something to look forward to, Paddy. Come here. Thanks very much for taking the time to chat to us. No problem. Take care, boy. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop, and when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today, because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go, cause I